The time for talking is over. The time for action began today. Really? Do you really mean that? Texas Governor Greg Abbott? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I hope so. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, and sometimes, not frequently enough, but sometimes on Houston's great Pacifica affiliate KPFT, Blanketing planet Earth five days a week, coast to coast and around the globe. Also streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Some, you'll be shocked to learn some crazy news coming out today. Uh, President Donald Trump on Tuesday forced out John Bolton, his mustachioed and very hawkish national security advisor with whom he had significant disagreements on Iran, Afghanistan, and a cascade of other global challenges, according to AP. Now, normally I'm concerned when top Trump advisors with actual experience in the subject matter that they work on are being pushed out by Trump, as pretty much all of them have been by now. But in this case, I confess to, well, not being that troubled at all that Bolton is leaving since he was incredibly and dangerously hawkish on uh, all manner of things, uh, among other things, on Iran. So while other Iran hawks are still in the administration, like Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and others, at least Bolton is gone, which I think is a good thing, Desi Doyen. Oh, I think it's an excellent thing. Now, on the other hand, uh, he was also a North Korea hawk. And while I'm not particularly hawkish on North Korea, uh, having someone there to counter Trump's, let's say, dovish giveaways uh, on just about everything to uh, to Kim Jong-un. Well, that might have been helpful, but I get the idea that Trump paid absolutely no attention to Bolton on that matter. 
and many others, really. Uh, so, you know what? I think it's just fine in one sense that Bolton is gone. Who is chosen to replace him, however, may be another matter. And we're getting word as we go to air here today that someone uh, who is a basically was on the board of an Islamophobic hate group. Yes. Uh, What's Charles, that guy's name? Charles Cooperman. He uh, looks like he's been nominated as acting national security advisor. The uh, Center for American and Islamic right. Relations put out a press release saying that Cooperman uh, used to serve on the board of the Center for Security Policy, which is an organization that has uh, anti-Islamic positions right. and has been designated by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group. Oh, great. Okay. So that's the replacement at least in an acting capacity, I guess, for um, for John Bolton. Uh, Trump had tweeted that he told Bolton Monday night his services were no longer needed at the White House, and Bolton submitted his resignation on Tuesday morning. Trump said that he had, quote, disagreed strongly with many of Bolton's suggestions as National Security Advisor, quote, as did others in the administration. So he's just, boy, is he... Not just pushing him out the door, pushing him over a cliff. Of course, Trump has disagreed strongly with all of his national security advisors. Bolton was, if my count is correct, the third person to be pushed out of that job at Donald Trump's displeasure. His ouster came as a surprise, apparently, to many in the White House. Just an hour before Trump's tweet, the press office has had announced that Bolton was going to be joining Pompeo and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin in a briefing just an hour earlier. Uh, a White House official said that Bolton had departed the premises after Trump's tweet and would no longer appear as scheduled. Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, however, said the move was cause for worry. He said, I'm legitimately shaken by the grave instability of American foreign policy today. Tweeting, I'm no Bolton fan, but the world is coming apart and the revolving door of U.S. leadership is disappearing America from the world just at the moment where a stable American hand is most needed. Well, it's going to be a while before we have a stable American hand in this country. And it's slightly um, more stable, I believe, with Bolton gone. You think so? Maybe. You're disagreeing with Chris Murphy? I am. I'll let him know. All right. Uh, but while the White House continues to fall apart, uh, there are actually some encouraging things that may be may be going on with some right wingers who, unlike the president, uh, while they may be hard right wingers, they are not insane, including even in Texas, where gun safety advocates have been having some very encouraging conversations, it sounds like, with that state's governor, Republican governor Greg Abbott about reform. Yes, gun safety reform in Texas, for real, I think. Uh, in the wake of the recent spate of mass shootings in the Lone Star State, uh, there has been talk of, yes, gun reform in safety uh, in, in Texas, gun safety reform in Texas, uh, even by the Republicans who run that state. We'll speak momentarily with the vice chair of the nonprofit Texas Gun Sense 
about his recent meeting with Governor Greg Abbott and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick about whether we could actually be on the verge of some common sense gun reform in the great state of Texas, of all places. And if it can happen in Texas, I should add, in Desi's old home state of Texas, mm. then, well, we'll see. It could happen it anywhere could if it be happens catching. there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, so I look forward to that conversation with Ed Scruggs coming up very shortly. So um, back when I first began covering voting systems at Bradblog.com, I was very critical of the media, uh, both at the blog and whenever I was invited on as a guest somewhere, because back then I used to be infuriated by media outlets who... After it had been proven that there were huge security vulnerabilities with electronic voting systems, media outlets would nonetheless always quote the uh, the voting machine vendors and the election officials who parroted them, who would say things, uh, the voting, the vendors would say stuff like, oh, our systems are unhackable or tamper proof, which is just utter nonsense. We all knew that to be a lie. The media, however, when I complained about, you know, why are you quoting these people who are lying, who we have evidence to show they are lying? The media would say, well, we, you know, we have to cite the other side. We have to give their opinions on this. And, of course, they would give much more deference to those companies and to those election officials who were parroting them. Um, and but I would so I would use this ridiculous example to explain how absurd I thought their thinking was. I used to say. Look, if it is sunny out and if you go to the window and see that it is sunny out and we can all look out the window and see that it is sunny, do we have to bring on someone onto the air to offer the other opinion that it is actually raining out when we all have the hard evidence that it is not? Now, this was back in the early heyday of Fox News and their fair and balance nonsense. Um, and, you know, their claim that the rest of the media, the corporate media was not balanced enough like they were, which led to at one point, and I kid you not, Holocaust deniers being brought on to CNN to counter Holocaust historians because, you know, you got to be fair and balanced. That really happened. So anyway, it was a ridiculous example I used to use, uh, occasionally still do, about, you know, if it's if we can all see that it's sunny out, why do we have to bring on someone who says it's raining? But it, it's a ridiculous example, but it was sort of on actual display on Monday night as the president of the United States was speaking at a rally in Fayetteville, North Carolina, in advance of Tuesday's U.S. House special election. That's in the state's 9th Congressional District, where the Republicans tried to steal an election with an absentee ballot election fraud scheme last November, but they got caught and the state refused to run the election, so uh, to, to certify the election. So almost a year later, we're now having finally a do-over election. We'll have the results for you as reported on tomorrow's broadcast, as folks are voting on Tuesday. And by the way, Republicans are already hedging their bets in that election by claiming that, uh, well, if the Republican loses, even with both Donald Trump and Mike Pence out stumping for him on Monday night, it's not really a bellwether for 2020. Pay no attention because this is a very tight swing district in the 9th Congressional District in North Carolina. Well, for the record, that swing district went to Trump by about 16 points 
in 2016, and they haven't elected a Democrat to that House seat since John F. Kennedy was in the White House. But other than that, sure, it's a swing district. Uh, anyway, so they're making excuses. They may not be uh, feeling real confident about it. Anyway, Trump was speaking at this uh, reportedly fairly sparsely attended rally in Fayetteville on Monday night. And as Brian Stelter noted at CNN, uh, he quoted, Trump just said there are people in line for his rally and they are, quote, soaking wet. But according to CNN's Betsy Klein, at the same time, quote, it is 88 degrees and sunny here in Fayetteville. It has not rained here today. So now it seems that Donald Trump is getting pretty used to the idea of simply lying about the weather. As he did two weeks ago regarding Hurricane Dorian being predicted to hit Alabama when it wasn't. But he can't admit to being wrong. So his actions have now led to an actual crisis for the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, which Desi Doyen will be talking about, at least in part, on today's Green News Report. Yep. That's how crazy things are. Uh, now, by the way, some have said that it was really hot and humid in Fayetteville on Monday, so that's what Trump was really speaking about. They were soaking wet, not from the rain, but from the humidity. Well, maybe... But who knows? We don't know anymore with this president. There is nothing he says, even about the weather, that we can believe anymore. As he would say, not good. Uh, one thing that he said that we should not believe him about was uh, after the recent shootings in Texas and Ohio, the mass shootings there. And he he said that he was working toward passing some very strong federal background checks. But that, too, appears to have been a lie. After he met with folks at the NRA, he backed off that promise as well because he's a liar, because he always lies about everything. And in this case, because he's both a coward and a liar. But at the federal level, at least, Democrats, the Democrats running for president, pretty much all of them are in lockstep, at least when it comes to supporting uh, at least common sense gun reforms, as this video released by Giffords PAC, which is run by former Arizona Congresswoman Gabby Giffords. You'll remember she was shot in the head in a mass shooting. I think it was in 2011. Uh, as this video suggests, pretty much uh, all of the Democratic nominees for president, Democratic candidates for president in 2020, are in basic agreement. Gun violence is literally life and death. That has become so numbingly common that we have kids going to school wondering if they're going to be physically safe. Learning about how to duck cover, hide. For fear that there is a mass shooter roaming the hallways of their school. That's wrong. That shouldn't happen in a country like ours. That's a tragic reality that exists today. And it's deep, it's serious, and it's wrong what's going on. So we cannot allow this to be inevitable or to be the expectation that we set for our kids. The children who are sitting in those classrooms afraid and in terror could care less about whether we are Democrats or Republicans. We have accepted the unacceptable for too long. And we're going to stand up and we're going to fight. Insist, demand, use the strongest possible terms. Push and push and push with every fiber in our being, with the urgency and the solutions so the parents and teachers and kids don't have to worry about this. The time has now come. Doing nothing is not acceptable. It is time for action. We have to act in a bold way. Save 
thousands of lives. This will be a moment of determination, determination to change. That was from the Giffords PAC calling for gun safety reform. Pretty much uh, all of the leading Democratic presidential candidates there in that montage. But of course, that's Democrats running for president. Will Republicans who run Texas actually take action on gun safety reform? Shockingly, the signs are actually now somewhat encouraging. We will head down to Texas for a conversation about that after a quick break. Really, it is encouraging because if it can happen in Texas, well, I'm Brad Friedman and this is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. The eyes of Texas are upon you yes. all the live long day. They certainly are. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On the day after the second mass shooting in as many weeks in the great state of Texas earlier this month, a shooting rampage in Midland and Odessa that resulted in the deaths of seven and injuries to more than 20, which itself had followed another mass shooting at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, where 22 were shot and killed in a matter of minutes just weeks earlier. Texas's Republican governor, Greg Abbott, as we noted at the time, commented on the frequency of high-profile shootings in his state since he took office. According to CNN at the time, he said, quote, I have been to too many of these events. Before citing similar incidents, the Dallas shootings that killed police officers, the Sutherland Springs shooting, the Santa Fe High School shooting, then, of course, El Paso and then Odessa and Midland. Governor Abbott said at the time, I am heartbroken by the crying of the people in the state of Texas. I am tired of the dying of the people of Texas. Too many Texans are in mourning. Too many Texas Texans have lost their lives. The status quo, he said, in Texas is unacceptable and action is needed. 
Those were the words of a longtime unapologetic pro-gun Republican Texas governor who had signed a new law not long before that had taken effect just hours after the shootings in Midland and Odessa that actually eased gun restrictions in the state by allowing firearms on school grounds, in apartment buildings, at places of worship. But according to HuffPost, on the same day, Abbott expressed dismay that the mass shooter who killed seven people in West Texas managed to buy an AR-style semi-automatic weapon in Texas, even though he had a criminal history and did not register for a background check. We would later learn that the shooter actually failed a background check for reasons of mental illness some years earlier. This gun, the one that he used to shoot nearly 30 people in his rampage, he had purchased in a private sale, which did not require any federal or state background check under current law. The so-called gun show loophole, which allows the purchase of guns between private individuals from some online forums and from some vendors at gun shows, all without a background check, was exactly what was exploited by the shooter in Texas. When asked by reporters if Abbott would consider banning assault rifles given the frequency of their appearance in mass shootings, the governor did not say no, nor did he deflect to other issues such as mental illness or video games, as frequently happens when NRA-supported Republicans are asked such questions. Instead, he said, quote, it's one of the things that legislators are already talking about. The Texas governor seemed to be open to the idea of even banning assault rifles. A Republican governor in Texas. Of course, that was just one day after the rampage in West Texas and about two weeks after the massacre at the Walmart in Texas, both, by the way, by white male American citizens, not Mexicans or Muslims or some other sort of person that might have allowed Abbott to deflect to other issues. As we noted at the time, Abbott's response was not exactly a profile in courage, but for a Republican governor in Texas, the remarks were noteworthy and seemed to have a very different tone from previous responses from NRA-sponsored officials in similar situations. Might something finally change in Texas after all of this, a state which itself is changing demographically and politically seemingly very quickly? Then on Monday of this week, just uh, just over a week since that latest shooting in Midland and Odessa, the L.A. Times Houston bureau chief Molly Hennessy Fisk noted that four years ago, Texas Governor Greg Abbott urged his constituents to arm up. I'm embarrassed, he tweeted in all caps at the time. Texas is number two in the nation for new gun purchases behind California. Let's pick up the pace, Texans said the governor. Last week, however, as Texas was coming to terms with recent back-to-back -back mass shootings, Abbott sounded like a changed man, Hennessy Fisk observed, just as we did at the time. The Texas House and Senate are getting to work on laws to keep communities safe from gun violence, Abbott tweeted, promising proposals this week to help prevent more massacres. The governor reassured his supporters that he remains a staunch defender of the Second Amendment, but in a state as serious about guns as Texas, whose unofficial motto, come and take it, 
summarizes the stance of many residents when it comes to their firearms. Even a slight diversion from the gun lobby agenda can set people off. Gun safety advocates have been energized by recent overtures from the governor and other Texas Republicans, the Times reports, quoting Ed Scruggs, who leads the board of Austin-based nonprofit Texas Gun Sense. He told the paper that he uh, he sees hope for expanding background checks and other measures to keep firearms away from those who pose a danger in Texas. Scruggs said the attitudes towards gun violence are changing in this state. Gun rights advocates say they are concerned that the state's politics are shifting and may no longer offer a bulwark against the regulation of firearms. There is a great risk of more gun control laws getting passed, said C.J. Grisham, who is the founder of Open Carry Texas. They have successfully lobbied for pro-gun laws. He said, I worry that Governor, uh, Governor Abbott may be feeling too much political pressure to do something. Well, having about 30 people killed in just two shootings over two weeks can apparently, even in Texas, do that for a governor who is sworn to protect and defend the residents of his state. Abbott reportedly held talks with gun safety advocates and limited the pro-gun side to a single lobbyist invited at the last minute right after the Walmart shooting. That worries us, said Grisham. He invited Texas gun sense, but he forgot to invite members of the grassroots gun rights community. But what may worry gun advocates is very encouraging for those who have spent years advocating for reasonable, conservative gun safety measures, like expanding background checks to include all gun sales, which I've previously described as pretty much the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to any sort of improved gun safety measure in this country. And one that has, by the way, been supported by an astounding 90 percent of the public of all parties, including about 80 percent of even NRA members themselves. But even that measure, like similarly popular red flag laws, which would allow police to temporarily confiscate firearms from those deemed mentally unfit as a danger to themselves or others by a court, even measures like that have been blocked for years by the NRA leadership and the mostly Republican politicians who are under their thumb and in their control. In an even bigger blow to gun rights advocates, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, a longtime Trump supporter and NRA supporter, told the Dallas Morning News last week that he was willing to defy the National Rifle Association in order to support expanded background checks on private gun sales. Someone in the Republican Party has to take the lead on this, said Lieutenant Governor Patrick, shockingly, uh, according to the L.A. Times, in a state where uh, last year Texas issued 1.3 million concealed handgun licenses, more than any other state except Florida, and 12 times the total out here in California. Based on the number of federal background checks conducted this year, Texas has, in fact, heeded Abbott's tweet from four years ago and now, yes, surpasses California in total gun purchases. So is something actually, finally, at long last happening to change the balance on all of this in Texas? Is this for real or is this just another momentary illusion that will fade once again away once the recent multiple bloodbaths in Texas begin to fade themselves into memory? 
as next year's elections become closer into view. Joining us now is Ed Scruggs, the board vice chair of Texas Gun Sense, who is cited as having been invited to meet with Governor Abbott after the Walmart shooting, even as many of the gun advocates in the state were not. Ed Scruggs, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Well, thank you very much. Um, thank you for inviting me. Glad to have you here. Uh, you were in that meeting, Ed, with, with uh, Governor Abbott just a few weeks ago. What was your impression at the time? And I realize these things can change once the NRA, you know, talks some sense into these politicians that they own. Uh, but did, did you see something different than you had seen in the past from this governor during that meeting? Yes, I did. Um, I must say it was um, pretty startling in many ways. It was a large meeting. We had representatives of the FBI. We had law enforcement from around the state. We had the entire El Paso legislative delegation, representatives from Facebook and Google. Um, We had a lot of different people in there. And we did have our one uh, pro-gun representative from Mm -hmm. the Texas State Rifle Association. Um, But both the governor and the lieutenant governor actually had issues that they brought to the table, reforms that they brought to the table that they wanted uh, the folks to consider there, Mm -hmm. which was very unusual. Hmm. He had one of these roundtables last year after the Santa Fe High School shooting, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't near as in-depth and all-inclusive as this one was. Mm -hmm. They were bringing up specifics this time. Uh, which I found unusual and very welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, they were more putting them out there for reaction, and in some ways putting them out there to gauge the reaction of the Texas State Rifle Association in some ways. Mm. Uh, but again, very unusual that I've never heard them speak that way. And again, two years ago, it never would have happened. It would have been unthinkable. Um, one issue that they brought um, to the fore immediately was mm-hmm. the background check issue. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, this happened after El Paso, right. but before Odessa. Mm-hmm. And, um, where, you had a, where you had an actual example of the, the background check loophole being exploited by that shooter in uh, Midland and Odessa. Yes, yes. And, that in, and in this meeting after El Paso, both the lieutenant governor and the governor said, hey, we have this situation where people can get around the background check system. They can go on a private market and they can get around it, and that's very dangerous. The lieutenant governor had some t- some statistics where he cited the use of those guns in crime, and the governor said, well, that would be a crazy way to sell a weapon if you wanted to sell it, because how would you know that you wouldn't be selling a gun to a terrorist mm-hmm. or to a criminal? Yeah. So, of course, the, these are the things we've been saying for many years. So that, that was great. So they expressed desire to try to fix that part of the system. That, let me jump and, in. And that, that's very, very welcome. Let me let me jump in for a second, Ed, because I want to find out, I, I, I do want to hear what other measures that they brought to the table as well, but sure. uh, reading in, I think it was the Dallas Morning News, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who's a huge NRA guy, he he heads the Texas legislature. Uh, while he does uh, said that he appears to be willing to take the lead to close the background check loophole uh, on these private sales, uh, he said that would be between strangers, but not between friends. Would that be enough if they were to simply close the loophole uh, between people who didn't know each other? Well, see, there's the rub. And that's that's he refers to it as closing the loophole on stranger to stranger sales. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they they just don't want to use the term universal background checks because that's kind of a leftist term, I think they think. <laughs> and so they there is a big belief in this in the conservative community and in the pro gun rights community that you should be able to transfer firearms within your family. And then there is also a wing that really believes in being able to lend firearms to your friend or your neighbor. A lot of this goes back to a hunting tradition Mm -hmm. where you were um, lending hunting um, rifles and so forth. But then it's also kind of merged into, well, I'm going to lend my neighbor a handgun for self-protection when she goes to the store. Now, I don't know many people that would do that, but apparently it happened. And so... That's going to be the catch in all this. I think everyone agrees these stranger-to-stranger sales, the private sales that take place at gun shows, the sales over the Internet or out of the back of some guy's trunk in a a big box store parking lot, Mm -hmm. something like that, we all know how dangerous and terrible those are. So everyone seems to want to close that down. However, the catch is if your if your exceptions for family transfer and transfer between friends is too large, you're just going to open up another big loophole again. For the the, the yeah. issue with this is, for example, with family, is it immediate family? Does it include nephews, cousins? Does right. it go to second cousins? You could extend that out pretty wide. Mm-hmm. And then with friends, when you go, you know, your neighbor or someone that you know, one, you have to define friend. Is Mm -hmm. that your BFF? Is that your friend on Facebook? Is that someone you met in a coffee shop for Mm -hmm. five minutes? I mean, so you get into a real kind of legal gray area trying to define what friend is. The the one reason why that is not advisable Mm -hmm. is there's really, you may think you know this person, you may think you know your neighbor that's lived across the street from you for 10 years, but under federal law, If you have been convicted, for example, of any domestic violence um, crime, Mm -hmm. even a Class C misdemeanor, you are not allowed to own or possess firearms. And how many of us know whether our neighbors have been convicted of a Class C misdemeanor? How are we going to know that without doing a background check? And by the way, Ed, uh, yeah, I mean, Ed, uh, we we haven't uh, talked but for a few minutes before I had you on air now, but I like you very much. I find you to be very friendly. (laughs) Uh, It sounds like we're friends now, and under this uh, new loophole, (laughs) why we could sell each other our guns because, hey, we're friends. I mean, you can declare anyone to be a friend, but even on a family level, Ed, um, you know... uh, a, a, a grandfather may want to pass down a gun to his grandson. That grandfather may have no idea what sort of trouble the grandson has gotten into. Is it expensive, uh, onerous in some way to actually uh, carry out uh, uh, one of these federal background checks? Is there a cost to it that would be prohibitive? It varies by state. Mm-hmm. Some Most states will set a rate that a federal licensed dealer can charge to run what they call a third-party background check. I mm-hmm. believe in Texas it's set at $15. That may have changed recently, but it is not some onerous task. $15? Gun shop. $15? Yeah, you could go to any gun shop, any um, uh, a Walmart that sells guns in most states, um, a yeah. Cabela's or a Bass Pro Shop. They, they, you do some paperwork, you answer some questions, they run you through the system, and in 99% of the cases, uh, within two minutes, you're going to be cleared. 
So it is not a big um, task or burden. The catches that conservatives and gun rights activists hate that they have to do that. They feel that that is the long arm of the government imposing into their family and their personal relationships. Mm -hmm. They actually describe that as having to ask the government for permission to exercise what they feel is a constitutional right. Stranger to stranger, they can kind of live with that. Right. But when it's a friend or family, it's like the government is questioning my judgment. Well, you know, that's, um, you know, that's something we'll have to get past. But, you know, even in Texas, if, if, if they did close down that private sales loophole of the stranger to stranger sales, mm-hmm. that is a big deal. It's not enough, though, if you leave this friends and family loophole too wide. Right. Um, what I would hope would happen is that people would see how easy it is to do the background check. And let's say if I was going to lend my rifle mm-hmm. to um, to me, neighbor, I'm your friend uh, now. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah, if that's I was right. going to lend you, I would say, gee, I might want to protect myself from any future liability or a lawsuit one mm-hmm. day. So let's go down to the Walmart or go down to the store or to the gun shop. And let's just run a background check real quick. Not that I don't trust you and mm-hmm. think you're a good person, but let's just be safe to do it. Right? right. Sure. And heaven forbid if we run the background check and it turns out you're wanted in 10 states and everything. But, right. you know, this way we know for sure. I mean, other states do it. I believe California has a universal background check. Um, several other states have it and are considering it. Well, t- t- and, and te- Texas could even, if they wanted to, I mean, if we're only talking about $15, uh, Texas could pay for that, uh, you know, if they want to make it as as uh, le- uh, less onerous as possible, they could pay, uh, they could say it's a, it's a free, it's a free background check. Or well, and that's dollar. something that, yeah. you know, that's something to explore. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if they would allow, uh, you know, the price to go up in these third-party cases or what have you, but, you know, it is something... If the incentive is to be safe mm-hmm. and to get more people through the system, why not help subsidize the check? Right. I mean, it just makes sense to me. Yeah. And um, so, you know, that is, if that were to get through and if that were to pass, mm-hmm. that would be, that would be almost like Neil Armstrong landing on the moon <laughs> for the state. Right. That, this is huge. Yeah, I, know. I mean, really, the pro-gun forces in this state they are as far right as right can be. They right. are the most conservative um, folks in the country, basically. Right. And they have absolutely controlled our state government for about two decades in yep. the sense of there are two issues that they never bend on. One is abortion and one is guns. Mm-hmm. And, and they use it and hold it over the heads of Democrats in the state legislature all the time. Like if you, you know, don't vote on that gun bill or I'm going to take away your committee assignment or I'm going to do this. And for years this has gone on. Mm-hmm. Um, but lately, you know, people have started to speak up more. Um, and, of course, now the situation on the ground is such that people have to wake up and pay attention. But really it started in 2016 election, I think. Uh, with uh, Beto O'Rourke challenging Ted Cruz. Mm -hmm. Um, He came so close to winning and energized uh, really the new Texas voter Mm. out there. And they came so close with turnout. People started thinking, even back then, some of the far-right Republicans, maybe we need to moderate a little bit Mm. on some things. For example, on this last legislative session, 
we got a huge public education funding reform bill that they had been fighting, Republicans had been fighting for years, but they finally funded public education. That was because there were 11 new Democrats in the state house that won seats so, that election. So they're, yeah, so they're really beginning to feel the demographic changes and the political changes that we have heard so much about that are coming to Texas. Well, now it seems like it, it, it's becoming a reality that it's actually working its way into the body politic. I, I think so, and, and, it, and it has a long way to go still. Yeah. But, you know, the way I would describe Texas, I've lived here for 27 years now, and... In some ways, it's if you took California and you mashed it together with Alabama and you had a little <laughs> bit of that old Texas still in the middle, right. that's what Texas is like. It has some of the most conservative areas of the country, uh -huh. and then it has several big, urban, tech-centered, just economically-driven education-centered cities like Dallas, Austin, most of Houston, for yeah. example, San yeah. Antonio. So you have these very different voting populations. And, and historically, the rural population has always been enough to outnumber everyone else. Also helped along by some pretty substantial gerrymandering, which yes. is real extensive. Yes, it is. Um, but, you know, 11 of those gerrymandered seats fell in 2016 because of the changing demographic. The state's growing. It's outgrowing the gerrymandering. Ed, I wanna, uh, I'm short on time. I want to get in a few more points here. I, I have noted that the expanded background checks uh, is, in truth, pretty low-hanging fruit, uh, however they sure. do it, even if they do you know, fully universal. Uh, and that, uh, you know, given the horrendous, seemingly nonstop mass shootings that we're seeing in this country, uh, in truth, a return to the federal assault weapons ban that was so successful in this country until George W. Bush, a Texan, by the way, a fake Texan, but, you you know, he's now there, so you own him, Ed. Uh, he refused <laughs> He refused to renew that measure when it sunsetted during his term. But Governor Abbott actually suggested after that West Texas shooting that lawmakers are looking at even that. Is that something that is even conceivable in Texas at this point? Uh, or I would add, if not, uh, how many more massacres will it take before it is? Well, politically, it's not really conceivable in this sense. I think um, because of the fact of what's happened, and mm -hmm. it's obvious the, the firearm of choice and what they're using, um, that it's begun, people have begun questioning the uh, wisdom of allowing that, certainly, and of these big um, extended um, high-capacity magazines as well. Mm -hmm. But the makeup, the current makeup of the legislature is such, you still have um, pretty firm Republican control in the House, mm -hmm. and you have some, some of the folks there, about a third of them, are deep, deep, hardcore gun rights folks. There's a state representative, his name is Matt Schaefer, you may have heard of him. He put out a Facebook post the night of the Odessa shooting <laughs> saying that Basically, the problem was we needed more Jesus and God in our lives. These were God-given rights that Jesus gave us, and he would never, ever vote to take those rights away. Now, a lot of the people around the world even reacted to that, mm -hmm. like, what are you saying? But right. the fact is, he speaks for a lot of people in Texas, and he actually has a pretty substantial constituency within the legislature. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if they can go with background checks, that's great. 
may maybe consider a red flag law or something similar to that. What were those they, ideas that were brought up by the governor in that uh, in that meeting after the Walmart shooting? Yes, and the governor actually after the Santa Fe High School shooting was very open to a red flag law. Um, but um, interestingly, it was Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor, who really squashed that um, because very conservative gun rights supporters have a big issue with red flag laws because they think it doesn't guarantee them due process, that you would actually confiscate someone's weapons, if only for just a few days, without a full court hearing with them present. And Mm -hmm. what they don't realize is this is due process. It's based on current practice and law when you have a child abuse case or someone asking for a protective order. So it is due process, Mm -hmm. but because it involves a firearm, they just can't go there. So I think the governor is stopping short of really calling for that at this time, but I think they're open to doing something because, for example, with the El Paso shooting, that shooter's mother in Allen, Texas, called the police department a few weeks before then saying, hey, my son bought an AK-47. Is that okay? (laughs) You know, which is, that itself is a red flag. And the police department didn't know exactly what questions to ask. They didn't dig real deep. But if they had, uh, we may have been able to stop that. I think, uh, and certainly with the Odessa case, there were red flags all over that. Yeah. And so people are waking up to the fact that, hey, we have to do something more to spot the signs and act on them, which they are always there before these events happen. So maybe we'll get to a place where we could enact a red flag law, which would be a huge victory for the state. But we have some work to do on that. Well, the... Um a story today, I think, in the Washington Post uh, talking about Donald Trump and his previous promises to do something on expanded background checks, which he's now wavering on after, you know, the NRA got their claws into him once again. But that article talked about uh, former Florida governor, now Florida Senator Rick Scott, uh, is reportedly counseling Donald Trump on changes that were made in Texas to gun policy after the Parkland shooting, raising the uh, age for gun sales to 21 instituting these red red flag laws uh, and making the case that it did not hurt him because, well, he was, after that, elected to the U.S. Senate by a very narrow uh, reported margin. But setting that aside, he didn't lose the race. Neither did his GOP successor, uh, Governor Rick DeSantis, uh, who also won narrowly. In other words, the case, I, I think the point is being made, Republicans can lead in making these uh, uh, these changes without being run out of Dodge uh, because of them. That should be enc- an encouraging message for uh, Texas Governor Abbott, no? Or is it Florida really, so I, different? It really, sh- Exactly. It really should. And I think there's a realization that's starting to set in, and the L.A. Times article did a really good job of pointing that out, where you had some responsible gun owners saying, Hey, you know, we've, they've, they've been so extreme now for so long. There's a backlash building, and I'm afraid if we don't do something now, we're going to lose it all soon mm-hmm. because they know these shootings are going to continue. And I think that's something that has really hung over the last few weeks in Texas. We're not done with this. So if you don't act, and there's another one, and then maybe there's another one because our next legislative session isn't until 2021. How much more difficult is it going to be? That's why I truly believe laws similar to what Florida was able to pass. If Florida can pass them, Texas should be able to. Although Florida is a pretty strong gun rights state, 
Texas is the epicenter of gun yeah. rights. So the NRA does not want to let it go. Right. But it would really benefit Republicans to come to the table with Democrats, find the things that they can agree on, and there are some things they can agree on, and just do it. Just pass it, pass it, get it in place, and they'll see that it won't hurt them politically. Yeah. I think that's the thing. They just have to see it. And then once that happens, who knows, maybe we'll enter a new era in discussing this problem. Yeah. Um, I, overall, though, you know, just a few measures are not going to solve this. Gun violence affects every um, part of our society in this country and in this state, not just mass shootings, but suicide, domestic abuse, um, street crime, accidental shootings. Texas leads the country in the number of children who accidentally shoot and kill other children. Mm. That's because people are not storing their arms um, correctly. Well, it, it to does. To tackle gun violence, you have to have a comprehensive approach or a comprehensive policy eventually, and that's what we have to work towards. And uh, you're doing a hell of a, a good job of working towards it. You're doing a really important work there, and it does sound, like you say, you know, with Texas as sort of the epicenter uh, of the gun rights uh, movement, it really feels... Uh, and I'm, I'm glad to sort of hear you confirming that, uh, because from afar, it really feels like something is now finally changing. And uh, if it does change in Texas, it sure feels like a bellwether, uh, perhaps, for the rest of the country. Ed Scruggs, I, I hope you'll stay in touch with us on this, because, you know, like I say, I think as Texas goes, so goes the rest of the country on this particular issue. So it'll be really interesting to see. Uh, how this moves forward, if it moves forward, or if they all start getting, uh, you know, weak knees again once they, uh, the 2020 election begins to come into view. Which which could happen, yep. but they just need to realize we're not going anywhere, so they're going to have to deal with it sooner or later. Stay on it, my friend, and I call you my friend because I'm hoping you'll sell me some guns later and <laughs> without a background check. Yes, indeed. Ed Scruggs is Thank the... Thank you so much. You bet. He's the board vice chair for Texas Gun Sense. You can find the organization and the work that they do at txgunsense.org. You can also find Ed on the Twitters at Ed4, that's the number four, ed 4 Austin, the number eight. Ed Scruggs, really appreciate you joining us. Uh, look forward to talking to you again in the near future, my friend. Thank you. Okay, well, with that encouraging news, we will take a quick break. And Desi Doyen, you're on deck, so you know what that means. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bad news straight ahead on the Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. So, Desiree, 
you're from Texas. Do you, do you think we may actually see some reform down there? Uh, definitely. You Eventually. Definitely? Someday the Democrats demographics are going to yeah. change so much that there will be no other way for, to, for it to go. Yeah, well, it'll happen eventually. The question is uh, how many more people die until it does. Yes. Uh, when it comes to guns, and I guess the same thing is true when it comes to climate change and what the globe is now facing, as you'll discover in our latest Green News report. We make forecasts, we don't deal with politics. Trump's repeated lies about Hurricane Dorian balloon into full-blown credibility crisis for Noah. Grand Bahama right now is dead. Dorian's death toll in the Bahamas, potentially in the thousands. Plus... Trump DOJ opens antitrust probe into automakers' deal with California. Ah, the art of the corrupt antitrust probe. All of those stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The day we we landed in Miami for the debate, uh, 40,000 acres of a swamp was on fire. Wait, is Jay Inslee talking about the Everglades or the Trump administration? Take your pick. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I guess we are now at that point in the Trump administration when he's actually lying about the weather. Yes, unfortunately, that is where we are. But first, Hurricane Dorian is finally headed out to the open ocean after absolutely devastating islands in the Bahamas and grinding along the east coast of the United States. Dorian has now entered the record books as one of the longest duration hurricanes ever recorded. In the Bahamas, rescue and relief efforts are intensifying as personnel and supplies arrive. At least 50 are now confirmed dead as of airtime. But the Bahamas press reports that the final death toll is likely to be much, much higher because thousands remain unaccounted for. And the Trump administration, meanwhile, is denying desperate Bahamian evacuees without documents from entering the United States. Of course he is. Tens of thousands of people are in need of help. Why would the United States want to help them at all? while Donald Trump is our president. Here in the United States, President Trump's fixation on his false claim that Alabama would be impacted by Hurricane Dorian has now ballooned into a credibility crisis for NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, which oversees the nation's weather agencies. The Birmingham, Alabama office of the National Weather Service corrected Trump's disinformation that had panicked residents. Then Trump doctored a National Weather Service map with a Sharpie to justify his false claims. Now, falsifying an official weather report is illegal. Then, in a statement, NOAA sided with Trump against its own scientists and admonished the Birmingham office for its accurate forecast. Now, new internal documents show NOAA appointees warned staff not to contradict Trump. Trump Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross reportedly threatened to fire top NOAA officials if they didn't publicly disavow the accurate Birmingham office forecast. Now, the acting chief scientist of NOAA, Craig McLean, has opened an investigation, calling the agency's actions, quote, political and a danger to public health and safety. So NOAA is going to investigate itself and its own leadership somehow? NOAA scientists are going to investigate NOAA political appointees. And NOAA scientists 
are probably going to get fired for that. It's very possible. It's bad enough to lie to Americans about a life-threatening weather event, but this is deadly serious for the administration to undermine the public's trust in weather forecasts as unbiased, accurate, and not politicized. Well, there is nothing left but the weather at this point to be politicized by this administration. At the annual meeting of the National Weather Association on Monday, Association President Paul Schlatter pushed back. We make forecasts. We don't deal with politics. I mean, our our job is to protect the American public with the weather information we we pass around. So, of course, it's frustrating when things get politicized, when we're we're the scientists and the communicators that are delivering the message uh, for weather safety. In other news, remember that special deal that four major car makers had negotiated with the state of California? Yes, I do. They set fuel economy rules that are higher than the standards that the Trump EPA has proposed rolling back. Well, now the Trump Department of of Justice has launched an antitrust probe into whether those four car makers violated antitrust laws by agreeing with California to follow higher tailpipe emission standards. You know, I'm all in favor of using antitrust laws uh, to break up these huge corporations, to break up collusion between the corporations. But the Trump administration seems to be using this for political purposes only, period, not to bring actual justice. Finally, there is some good news. Marriott Hotels, the world's largest hotel chain, plans to eliminate those little single-use plastic shampoo and lotion bottles and shift to refillable large dispensers at its 7,000 properties worldwide by the end of next year. The move will keep nearly 2 million pounds of plastic, that's about 500 million tiny bottles every year, from ending up in landfills. So that's about the best news we can have. We're getting rid of those tiny tiny shampoo bottles. Yeah. We'll take what we can get. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. I'm gonna wash that man right out of my hair. Send him on his way. Yes, please send him on his way. <laughs> Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. You've got, I know, uh, two quick follow-ups on a couple of those stories. Really yes, quick. on the Justice Department opening up an antitrust investigation into those four car makers for their special deal with California. The U.S. House Judiciary Committee announced on Tuesday that they will hold hearings and seek documents into that antitrust mm-hmm. investigation. And uh, the Senator Gene Shaheen has asked the Commerce Department Inspector General to launch an investigation into whether or not NOAA violated its scientific integrity policy. So a lot is going to come out of these two uh really strange developments. Yeah, and I just wonder how the U.S. House Judiciary Committee is going to have any time for that because they say they are beginning with an impeachment probe, uh, which is something a story that I have had to put off for the last week. We'll get to it at some point, uh, I guess. And they'll get to it at some point, too, as well. At some point. What's the rush? 
All right. Well, we'll all look forward to that in the days ahead. Until then, my thanks to my guest today, Ed Scruggs of Texas Gun Sense, to my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always an honor and greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, or I hope you will uh, download it, read about it, share it with your friends and family, and, uh, and much more. That is available to you for free thanks to those of you who are kind enough to stop by bradblog.com donate. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. So thank you for stopping by bradblog.com donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I hope you'll share uh, all our troublemaking and muckraking there as well. You'll find me. I am the Brad Blog. See you there. Until we see you next time, hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. I'm going to wash that man right out of my hair. And stand here.